Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders and business owners with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. As a consultancy, we're here to help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver and thrive. If you would like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Welcome to Helping Organisation Thrive. Uh, Today I have uh, Paula James. Um, Good afternoon, Paula. Afternoon, Julian. Good to see you. Um, You're not too far from from me. Uh, You're in the sort of locality, but we're still doing this online. Um, I was going to tell the audience a little bit about you. Uh, You are the regional managing partner in Chichester for Irwin Mitchell Solicitors, which is a a UK wide um, firm of solicitors. And you sort of work particularly with clients to resolve uh, disputes about wills, estates or trusts. And, and today we're going to be looking at how exploring really how, how you lead and how you develop happy and expert teams, uh, which is uh, obviously part of what you do. You have a lot of expert teams, but how do you, how do you develop them? How do you make them happy? Uh, and sort of with that comes sort of well-being, uh, career development and obviously flexible working as well. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, I want us to ask a little bit more about you as uh, what you love about what you do, Paula. Well, um, I, I really do love my job at Erwin uh, Mitchell in Chichester. And, and um, on reflection on that, one of the key reasons I love it is because of the colleagues that I work with um, and their support for me. And equally, I hope my support for them. Um, but my, my role is really twofold. Um, in my job as a dispute resolution lawyer, um, one of the things that excites me about my role is finding solutions to some very difficult challenges, usually in quite sad family situations, um, and working with the family to use my expert knowledge of the law and tax in some cases um, to, to find a solution to whatever the problem whatever the problem is for for the fact for the whole family um and the the other part and it also involves solving problems and challenging myself is to make sure that um the the team that i work with has defined objectives and um really enjoy their jobs too um, because after all we we all work to live not the other way around we don't live to work I like that yes we work to live not to live to work um, and it's interesting it, you you like problem solving which is obviously you're dealing with some very a lot of personal matters but also some very tricky things uh, I'm just curious to understand what got you into that. Have you always been quite interested in solving problems and getting into nitty gritty of things? It's, it's a, that's a really interesting question because at the start of my career, I don't think I really knew what 
what I wanted to do. Indeed, as a um, you know, an A-level student and even a law student, I don't think that I was um, convinced that I wanted to be a solicitor. And if I'm honest about it, I think I probably fell into the profession because I did a law degree and it was the next step after that. Um, and um, when you become a solicitor, you have to do two years of a training contract in the office before you qualify as a solicitor. And I sat in all seats of um, the predecessor to Erwin Mitchell. I've never worked anywhere else professionally. <laughs> um, and um, uh, and I decided that litigation was my thing. And I think that very early in a solicitor's career, you know whether you are um, a contentious lawyer or a non-contentious lawyer. And the, all lawyers are problem solvers, actually. We're all there mm. to resolve an issue that clients have. But with litigation, the problems that I was being asked to solve were so diverse and so interesting that there was never, uh, no day, no day was ever the same. Um, and in fact, two of my first cases that I ran on my own with the supervision of my partners um, was a case that involved um, a lorry which had broken down in the fleet A um uh, M3 services um, and it was full of seafood and in particular frozen smoked salmon mm. and in order to progress this claim I had to learn all about the process by which salmon was blast frozen before it was transported anywhere um, and the second case that I dealt with um, was about condoms and about the flavoring of condoms so I had to learn all about the wow. process in which condoms were flavored so as a 26 year old junior solicitor that was the kind of the diversity of case that I got involved with and um, then with private client litigation um, Erwin Mitchell is a, a private client uh, specialist and so we have lots of teams who deal with um, Plan, helping people plan for their life journey from starting out in business through to helping maybe helping kids buy properties to maybe putting grandkids through private schools to uh, ending their business how do they sell their business what what's the succession of their business and making sure that um, as much as possible of the family wealth is preserved for the family um, rather than being paid unnecessarily in tax in some cases and um and out of those came the need to deal with disputes within families. So sometimes a will is not as expected. So you're expecting to inherit a, a share of a, a relative's estate and that share is not forthcoming. And one wonders whether that is deliberate or whether there has been some sort of underhand behavior in the family. Somebody has persuaded the relative uh, not to not to leave you what you were expecting or whether there's been a mistake in the will. So, you know, simple mistakes like mm. saying I leave all my money to my children and accidentally excluding stepchildren who you might have brought up from a very early age. Mm. 
Um, and so those are the kind of disputes along with complex trust disputes um, that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. And again, it's it's the, the challenge of understanding what the intention was at the very beginning and trying to help a family. There's only one pot after all, and trying to ensure that that's divided up in, in a fair way. Well, it gives, there's a lot of variety, obviously, in your, in your role, and, and it sounds quite complex as well. And obviously, there's that personal matter as well, which gets, must be quite uh, emotive as well, which is quite tricky. Um, you, you also manage people, uh, which are equally, you know, emotive, complex, and, and can be problems as well. Um, and and you said to me you want to you, you want to develop people and make and sort of develop happy and expert teams. I'd like you to just talk a bit more about how you going about developing your your people who work for you, work with you. Yes, I mean you're quite right. I'm very lucky to work with a, a fantastic bunch of people, actually, um, and there aren't too many problems for which I'm thankful. Um, but there are, from time to time, issues that that have to be dealt with. Um, and um, your 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 question stems from, or, or the happy and expert team issue stems from uh, recently interviewing for some um, solicitors to join the team. And uh, and I was speaking to a colleague about it and I pinched it straight from the colleague because I thought it was so brilliant. It was that what we want is to build happy and expert teams. They have to be experts because we are a, a large law firm with very niche specialities. And so the people that we have in our team have to know exactly what they're doing because that's what they're being paid to do. Um, But we also want them to be happy. Uh, If they're happy, they will stay with us. They will be good team players um, and they will be productive. And uh, at the end of the day, um, the firm will make the profit it needs in order to continue to grow and develop as a a firm. Um, And so that's where that that came from. And it's become my mantra, really. Um, uh, And it is so important. And they are so interlinked, both the happy and the expert members of the teams, because most people um, joining the team will want to develop their expertise uh, as well in order to develop their careers. Um, So training is really important. um, and, And it's not just the professional members of the team that I'm referring to. It's every single member mm. of the team will will have some aspirations to develop their role within the team that they operate in. Um, and it's, it's understanding what their aspirations are and making sure that you've got a good match between their aspirations and your ideas for how the, the whole team mm. is going to develop. And if you do have a mismatch, then you, there's an element of we've got to do some modifications here because either what you want won't happen or if you carry on on that trajectory, what I was thinking about isn't going to happen. That might be a good thing. You have to stop mm. and really think about it. Um, so making sure that everybody talks 
to me or to their team leader about what their own ideas are for their their, their own uh, talent management and progression mm. within the firm. Um, and it's really important that that's a listening exercise because sometimes the idea is, is, is not completely at item. So you might get a complete surprise by, um, uh, if, if in my example, uh, I might have a paralegal who tells me that in two years' time, they'd like to be a solicitor. And in fact, there is a route that they could follow if supported that would um, take them through to qualification as a solicitor. I might not have a role for a solicitor in two years' time in that particular team or area. Mm. So we have to discuss it and think, well, could I expand that team so that I could accommodate another member of qualified, um, another qualified member of the team? Um, so it's that real listening exercise and not being fixed in your views for growth mm. um, and making and how, sure. How, sorry, how, just interrupt there. How, how do you facilitate that? I mean, you, you probably have a yearly appraisal, but how is it an ongoing facilitation of that listening, which I think is really valuable, actually? Well, um, I do speak to all my direct team members specifically on a monthly basis about um, where they are. I, I think everybody should have a, you know, defined plan. Um, in my firm, we call it a personal development plan, but in other businesses, it has different names, but, but it, and it doesn't have to be written down, but it does have to be understood um, and it does have to be agreed upon. And um, so it's just that constant maintaining of that conversation. And um, I recently um, took over a, a team from a from a colleague um, who just moved to a different role, and um, it it's it dawned on me only a few months ago that maybe those conversations hadn't been happening as regularly as they should have been, and I start, started talking to people who weren't my direct reports um, about what their plans were. And the response was amazing. They were so grateful that people were talking to them about their own paths. It appeared that there was almost a taboo about talking about promotion. Um, people were waiting for a tap on a shoulder. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. I should be hearing from people. You know, it is my goal to be promoted. My time scale is this. Is this a possibility does this accord with what your ideas are for me and um, those conversations are very happy conversations um, mm. people are pleased to talk to you about them they're talking about themselves so they well yeah and they're talking confident about, the future, about that the, the, the future as well and that it's quite inspirational when you have those conversations when you have ones where there, there's a real misalignment of expectations either they think they should be this in this period of time and you think they shouldn't be or i want to go this path and you think i'm not entirely sure how do you handle those differences because they're bound to happen yes of course they of course they happen and sometimes it's a time scale thing so sometimes people are just not where they are on not as far forward on the path that they think they are um and um honesty and a clear plan to get people where they want to be 
is the answer, but honesty really is the best policy and a constant dialogue about how things are doing. Um, feedback also. So if you can give specific examples of um, why people aren't where they are or when they are, this this piece of work was exceptional, um, but it is not the norm yet and we'd like it to become the norm. Um, so I think um, feed, feed, feedback is really important when people are developing career paths. Mm. And we, we talk about happy, happy team uh, and sort of happy and expert teams. And I, I really like that expression because it, it, it emphasizes obviously the technical aspects and then there's happy. The question I would ask, um, how do you measure happiness and how do you know <laughs> they're happy? Because we can measure the probably the technical piece and the expert bit, but and, and it's um, it'd be interesting to how, how you how you get to that point where we go. We've got a happy team here. How do you know when you get there? Well, part of it is obviously just a feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, sometimes you will know that you've got a team member who's very very unhappy for you know whatever reason. Um, and sometimes the, the reasons for their unhappiness can be can create a, a negative a negative impact on the rest of the team. Um, but the converse obviously is much better. So if you have somebody with a very positive attitude, they can bring the whole team with them and infect people with their positive energy. Um, so I'm hoping that any problems are soluble so that people who are unhappy, which of course is going to happen from time to time, don't bring everybody else down and that the positive people can help them get back where they want to be. But your question was, how do you tell if people are happy? So yes, of course, part of it is a feeling. Um, part of it is um, whether they tell us they're happy. So um, uh, we regularly survey our colleagues mm -hmm. um, and, and ourselves, um, and we take part in a great place to work, work survey. Um, and um, I'm proud to say we're very successful at that. We are a great place to work. And, um, and what's more, the Chichester team are a really great place to work. <laughs> um, but that's, it's really interesting because where you have um, uh, sectors where you're not doing so well, for example, recently, um, we were not doing so well on the reward and recognition side of, mm. of of running a business we had a full um, market evaluation and were able to do something about that quite mm. quickly um to make sure that we weren't falling down on those scores um, we do really well on um uh, communication scores and making sure everybody knows what's going on in the business as a as a whole um, and the, the other way I think that we know whether or not people are happy is if you can retain your teams, if you have mm. low attrition rates. Um, and um, part of that is, as I said before, is talking to people regularly and making sure that um, 
they know what they have to do. They have clear objectives. They have a clear plan about what at least the year ahead of them looks like. Mm. Uh, and every so often you stop, check. Am I there yet? Am I on the right path? What have I got to focus on to get to where I, I want to be? Mm. Um, do I need to change my role? Yeah, some good good ways there. That I mean, the, the employee surveys are, are really helpful. They're insightful. It's good to hear that you're not only listening, but you're also acting upon it. Because often surveys can be a little bit of oh we're doing something but actually we're not going to act on upon those things you just sit on the rewards and recognition which is is important um i think the uh asking people getting close to people as you say and and just sort of getting that sort of feedback uh, of what's going on so when you identify perhaps somebody's unhappy and that could be a gut feeling when you observe something because obviously that's quite important as well to observe how people are acting um how do you sort of go about that as an intervention in terms of talking to them but also i'm just thinking in the last 18 months it's probably been a bit more difficult to observe people because of nature of people working from more from home and everything else so there's two questions there. i was just wondering how that's been identifying where people have been at in a in person and also in a remote sense yes and and of course individual team and then firm well-being has become has been pulled into sharp focus by the mm. fact that um, uh, most people have been working from home during this period. And indeed, my firm has almost entirely been working from home, apart from uh, people like the reception staff who who just couldn't. Um, and uh, it would have been easy to have lost that sense of collaboration and that sense of team, but it didn't happen. Mm. Uh, in fact, I was amazed at how we were able to shift from office, completely office-based working to remote working and still maintain that sense of collaboration. Mm. Um and um, uh, we had we had to change a lot of systems, um, you know, within a very short period of time. So we moved to using Microsoft Teams, um, which gave us the the ability to call people in. And I think it had most most impact on um, people who were in training roles or mm. um, early on in their career, um, and it. It meant that um, colleagues had to make a conscious effort to ensure that maybe more junior colleagues were involved in uh, calls with opponents, calls with clients, um, so that they could learn learn from that. Um, it's much easier when you're in an open plan office and you, you've got a whole view of um, mm. what's happening. Um, from a supervision point of view, of course, it's, e it's easier as well because you can hear and see what's going on. Uh, so, um, yes, um, remotely it has been very difficult and well-being has been um, the forefront of everything we've been doing really to keep colleagues safe uh, and to keep them happy um, and we've we've done some amazing things we've put in um, 
uh, mental health advocates for all teams so that if you are having a hard time or you just want a chat um, or you're very frustrated, which I think everybody has been, um, there are people that you can just talk to. Um, we, for instance, um, this autumn offered everybody a well-being day, just one day that they didn't have to come to work, mm. that they just took for themselves. And we invited wow. people to share what they'd done. And that was amazing. We had some beautiful pictures of people on long walks in the countryside. Mm. We had people having exciting things like spa days. We had people who just said, I'm going to have a lie-in because I never get one. And so just constantly uh, the thing that that has really happened by remote working is that it's really hard to shut off so when you work nine mm. to five and you have to leave because you have to pick your children up from nursery or you have to get home to prepare a meal for the family um you leave the office at more or less a defined time whereas when the laptop is just there on your dining mm. table it it is much harder to shut away from. So this well-being day was to, to try and reconnect people mm. with their life outside of, of work. And it was, um, it, it was a very successful um, thing and lovely that people were prepared to share uh, what they were, what, what they had chosen to do on their day off. And lots of people connecting with friends that they hadn't been in contact mm. with before and things, things like that. Um, when things do start to go wrong, um, again, it's really about talking to people, finding sometimes the things that are going wrong are not, are not within a firm's control. They're things that are outside of the workplace. Um, we can offer people much more flexible terms of working now because we are all so remote so mm. the stress is uh, about, have you gone to more of a hybrid working then is that how it's working we, we've now? gone we, we we call our policy flexible by choice and it's okay. entirely that so um people as long as people work the required hours per week um it's up to them when they do that that unless there's a business need so for instance if i've got a court appointment I could hardly say to <laughs> Erwin Mitchell oh, <laughs> I'm staying in bed on Monday morning so someone else can do my court appointment so if there's a business need um, if we need to come in for a client yeah. meeting the offices are open for those those kind of things um, team meetings I think there is a uh, a place for those to happen face to face um mm. given the current restrictions um at the time we're broadcasting this um julian we're in um work work from home if you can so mm. we're trying not to go into the office unless it's completely necessary so but i do think there is a place for meeting face to face particularly teams who are collaborating on working yeah. uh, for the same client or the same business and, and how are you managing that because obviously flexible working is great and it, it's been coming for many years and now it's been forced through covid and it's worked and people have uh, been really been really helpful but how are you managing a team because obviously you, you could be in the office you know, tomorrow, and but the rest of the team won't be there. And I appreciate the team meetings and certain touch points you together. How do you keep that? A, you know what's going on with your team in terms of their well-being, 
and making sure that they're doing the, the work they should be doing, the support they need and the guidance they need. How's that been facilitated? How are you, how are you going about that sort of practically for you? So it, um, it, it, it does depend a bit on the group of people and, and, um, and what their particular role or even their, their particular needs are. Um, some of the teams that I manage um, catch up every morning at, say, quarter past nine for five minutes. We've got this, this and this to do today. If you do that bit, I'll do this bit. Um, we have a we have weekly team meetings in most teams where the whole team is expected to be um, online. Mm. Um, and again, we're discussing workloads. We're discussing what we've got coming up. We we will discuss any particular uh, knotty client problems where maybe more heads are better than one. Mm. Um, and um, I, I, and I think that's. That's the way many businesses have had to do things online is to probably have more meetings than we ever did before because mm. we don't have the the desk to desk chats banter. Oh, could you just do this for me? Mm. Those kind of conversations don't happen. Things are much more structured. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so there's likely to be an introduction um, uh, to helping out on a case, um, a passing over of a job on a case, and mm. then constant communication and feedback between uh, the supervisor and the person who's been delegated to. Um, but from a well-being point of view, really, it's those, those team meetings and the regular interaction between um, the manager and um, and the colleague um, to make sure, really make sure that everything is all right. And and sometimes it really isn't. And mm. um, it that is really a challenge, really a challenge when things are not okay and it's outside your control. And what can you do mm. as a leader in the business to maintain? the business need and, and and an excellent service to our clients, but support that person through what will in inevitably be a very difficult time for them so that when they're restored to health or when the problem is solved and mm. they can come back and they really feel that they've been part of a team who's rallied around with them at a difficult time. Yeah, it, it sounds like you, you put... So well-being and people at the centre of your business, and um, it's great to hear uh, of what you're doing as a business and, and how you're going about it. I'm not just talking you know, the well-being days are great, but it, it seems to be the core of you of what you spoke about on this last half an hour or so. Uh, that that's what really matters, and you've certainly brought to life the you know developing happy and expert teams, and and it's it's not a bad outcome or objective, even though it can be a little bit tricky to measure have happy teams because I think there's something really in that and, and that's really important. Um, I really thank you for your for you sharing today and your insights uh, and I'm sure there's there's lots in there that other people can take um, some some learnings from it. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they connect with you? Oh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn or um, by email. I'm paula.james at erwinmitchell.com. I'd be very pleased to hear from, from anyone. 
Brilliant. Well, really, thank you for your time today, Paula. I've really appreciated it. I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, and, and I, you. Thank you very much, Julian. If you like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a consultancy, we help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver and thrive. If you'd like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com.